But my question to you this morning is, what about all of those who met Jesus on the dusty streets of Jerusalem and Galilee? What about Peter and Paul, the disciples? What about those who hated Jesus and yet still bumped into him, uh, encountered him on the streets, maybe left hating him? But what about those? What happened when people encountered Jesus? And so we're going to be looking again this week, at those who had a face-to-face encounter with Jesus, looking at their example, their story, and then asking ourselves, how does that fit in me, in my place? Charles Swindle says this, he says, on six separate occasions between Paul's third missionary journey and, and his trip to Rome, you can read this in, in Acts chapter 22 to 26, He says, on six separate occasions, Paul stands before different audiences and presents Christ Jesus to them. Six times he stood alone. Six times he addresses unbelievers, many of them hostile and rude. Six times. And you know the the, the method that Paul uses each time? Do you know what he says to them? He He uses his personal testimony in our language today the story of his personal encounter with jesus that's right charles swindle says each time he spoke he simply shared how his own life had been changed by the invasion of christ and his indwelling power not once did he argue or debate with them interesting remember paul highly educated man he'd been taught in the skill and the art of debate Not once does he rest on that skill. No no persuasive technique will ever take the place of your personal testimony, Tal says. I challenge you to give serious thought to the analyzing and then presenting the way God saved you along with the exciting results of his presence in your life. You want your personal testimony to produce results, don't you? So be warm and genuine. A smile breaks down more barriers than a hammer blow of card hold facts. Be friendly and sincere. Let your enthusiasm flow freely. It's hard to convince another person of sheer joy and excitement of knowing Christ if you're wearing a jail warden-like face, he says. Above all, be positive and courteous absolutely refused to argue. No one I ever met was arm-wrestled into the kingdom. People must be charmed into righteousness. Chris Cree, he says this, he says, Jesus told us we would be witnesses for him throughout the world, but in order to be a witness, you actually have to witness something. So God gives each person who follows him a story to tell, an encounter with Jesus, right? Of how God impacted their lives by changing it for the better, so they have something to tell others. I'm so glad if you're born again that you've met Jesus. I'm so glad. I'm so glad there's benefit on your life. I'm so glad that Jesus shapes us and he makes us whole. He heals us on the inside. He heals our physical uh, uh, problems. As we prayed this morning, He heals us inside and out. I'm so glad. He puts us in family. He, 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 he helps us in all ways. But I want to remind you, it's not just for you. It's not just for you. It's not just so that Jesus can hook me up and make my life better. He, he does all of that to give me a story that I can tell others about so that they too can have the same experience. You notice none of this language has said, well, you need to do a course. 
You need to be able to speak the original Bible languages. You need to have some kind of a qualification. You even doesn't even say you need to be good looking, but most of us have got that one right. <laughs> you understand how simple it is? Just got to tell your story. Just got to tell your story. And Jesus has worked in our lives to give us a story. You think you've got nothing to say? You've got a story. People just need to know that story. Paul, on his way to Jerusalem, is ready to face trial and he's warned that death awaits. I love this. I read this during the week. It says some prophets came and by the Spirit, they warned him that death was waiting for him in, in, uh, in Jerusalem. How's that for a prophetic word? Yeah? I'm so grateful. Instead of Paul saying, okay, the Lord told me I'm going to die. I better not go. He says, the Lord's telling me I'm going to die. I better go. Isn't that amazing? His friends gather together. They call the Ephesian elders. They gather together and he says, I won't see you again. They weep. (laughs) Their hearts are broken. Now, you know what it's like when you're saying goodbye to a friend. You know, just like a little longer, just a little longer. But when you know this is it. Hey, Christmas is coming. We're all going to hang out with our family. Well, many of us will hang out with our family and then it'll come to an end and you've got to say goodbye. Right? And Paul, hearts break. And yet I love this in Acts chapter 21 verse 13. It says this, but Paul wouldn't budge. Why all this hysteria? Why do you insist on making a scene and making it even harder for me? You're looking at this backwards. The issue in Jerusalem is not what they do to me, whether arrest or murder, but what the Master Jesus does through my obedience. Can't you see that? And my challenge for us this morning is many of us are living in the, why are you making this so hard for me? As much as we've prayed and we've taken time for, for the promises and the prophetic and the Ezekiel, Lord, you make the bones an army, yes? But when we are consumed by, Lord, I need the army, rather than, Lord, you have purposes to fulfill, and all of these things are so that I can tell my story, then we become powerful. Otherwise, we just become selfish. Yeah? Think of this, how much of our time is, oh Lord, please help me, versus Lord, help me to help someone else. Lord, this journey is so difficult, rather than Lord, you're giving me a story that I can tell somebody else who's in a difficult journey to give them hope and point to you. You understand the difference? And I'd love us as a church to make this mental shift that we become those whose lives are offered to the Lord. Let it be to me as you say, Mary said. Lord Jesus, whether it's good times or bad times, Paul says, we do it, we, we keep talking about this in Financial Peace University, whether I have a lot or I have a little, I'm content. Because God has a purpose. Yeah? We can pray, if you've got little, you can pray for more, for sure. But it's not just about me getting more, it's about Lord, what are you doing in my life that can point others to you? That's the kind of Christian that I'm trusting Grace Cove would become. And if you're not a Christian today, if you think you are, you're not sure, man, just follow us along this journey. And I think we'll have a look at a, at a guy this morning who will point us through his story to Jesus. 
If you're a Christian, I want to show you that there are people all around you that need to encounter Jesus. They need to hear our story, right? And if you're not a Christian, then maybe you'll hear about someone you identify with. And just maybe Jesus could meet you like he met them. So welcome this morning to episode number two of our series, Encounters with Jesus, where we look at people in the New Testament who met Jesus and we ask ourselves the question, what happened next? Good? So last week we spoke about Mary, as I keep saying. Remember the story about Mary? If you weren't here, it's online. But otherwise, let me recap. We saw how a young girl's life was turned upside down, and a young man's, but we'll focus on Mary. And given her life was turned upside down, it was given meaning and purpose that it didn't have before. She grew to understand that her son was more importantly also her savior. She became part of a family that was way larger than her biological family. And she honored Jesus at every turn. She graciously said yes every time God called. And we realized that God gave her significance. And not just her alone. He gives significance to all of us who respond to his call. He gave her shame in the eyes of her community. But favor in his eyes. So she's such an example to us. That we would rather stand in good stead with Jesus than those around us. And then finally, she responds in selfless service. Such a beautiful picture. So today we're going to have a look at the dying thief, the thief on the cross who encountered Jesus. While most were mocking and his disciples had fled, there was this criminal, this lonely voice of confidence in Jesus. Isn't it amazing? Everyone else was looking at their shoes. Deciding that they had a pressing important job on the other side of town. Everyone else. But in the Bible we have this one lone voice. This one piperachastemiki. This one little voice that still puts his confidence in Jesus. And it's perhaps all the more remarkable, Bible notes says, That since the disciples had been expecting Jesus to establish his earthly kingdom, yet this criminal seems to see beyond death. The most least likely candidate sees beyond death and realizes that despite his death, Jesus would have his kingdom. Isn't that amazing? All those close to Jesus didn't get it. And this one man has an encounter with Jesus and sees what even those close to Jesus can't see. It's amazing what one encounter with Jesus can do. Now, I haven't done, you could probably work it out, the number of hours that Jesus hung on the cross. We know it was from morning till went dark at three in the evening, afternoon. So it was most of the day, right? I want you to remember the process of crucifixion. Nailed to a cross. Probably beaten and whipped beforehand so your body is in absolute distress, bleeding, uh, blood loss, um, uh, when you don't drink enough, you become dehydrated, thank you, in absolute agony and pain. Then when you hang on the cross, the biggest threat is that because of your body weight against your body hangs, you battle to breathe. Your lungs are squashed. You probably die first by asphyxiation before any of your other wounds, by lack of breath. I don't know if we have any joggers in the room. Do we have joggers? I know there's at least one or two of you that are too shy to admit. Hey? Are you one of those guys who jogs with a friend and then talks all the way? Or are you one of those like me? 
Hey, like, <coughs> and then you, you, you end up going for a jog with someone for the first time. They want to chat. You're just trying to keep your breath, like, stop falling over, right? And so picture that, I mean, just picture this. These three men hanging on the cross. Every time they breathe, they literally have to pull themselves up against um, the nails, push themselves up and pull to try and get enough room in your chest to get your lungs to work and then collapse again, breath pressed out of your lungs and then repeat. And eventually, often, they didn't do it to Jesus to fulfill the prophecy of the Old Testament, but eventually, often, there's even a, a Latin word for it. Don't ask me to tell you what it was, but I read it this week. They've actually got a, a, a word, a definition for the club that you break the, the crucified person's legs with, and they can't push themselves up, so they um, asphyxiate quicker. In all of that, You have these three men having a conversation with each other. Why? Because two encountered Jesus, but one (laughs) had an amazing encounter with Jesus. Should we read for Luke chapter 23 verse 32 together? It says, two other men, both criminals, were also led out to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals. One on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said he saved others. Let him save himself, if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. For the next slide, thanks. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar, and they said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was written a notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. You, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserved. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then Jesus said, Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. Now last week we spoke about Mary. We often read those passages at Christmas time. Today we're reading about the cross. We often read those at Easter time. But I'm helping us that these are not just Christmas and Easter passages, right? And so here we have the story. Maybe you want to ask yourself, so who was this dying thief? Who was this guy? Well, we know very little. The cool thing is that we have a Bible account, but there are historical accounts even written by non-Christians of the time. And no one uh, gives us the name of this man. We don't know his background. We don't know how he got there, what he did. There's no prequel to this movie. We don't know what happened. But we do know, according to Britannica, that crucifixion was most frequently used to punish political or religious agitators. Pirates, Slaves or those that had no civil rights. So if you were from, if you're a slave or someone from the low classes and you did something wrong, there would be no one to stand up for you. You would have been crucified. This was a means to dissuade others from from perpetrating similar crimes with victims sometimes left on display after death as a warning. The men who who were crucified were violent revolutionaries, Political threats, violent criminals, or those without social standing or defense. Whoever this man was, 
He had done some bad stuff to get to the cross. And when we hear him, when we read and we, we in our mind hear him talk, we think, oh, he must have been quite a nice guy because he's being so kind to Jesus. I want to know that until the morning he had his encounter with Jesus, he was the guy who deserved to be on the cross. Just like the other guy. We normally, in my mind, we normally think the one guy was terrible, the other guy was not so bad. He must have been okay because he, he was, you know, polite to Jesus. What we don't realize is that two men deserve to be on those cross. They've been tried, found guilty, and the punishment fitted the crime. He was just as bad as the other guy. <laughs> so who was he? Well, he must have been bad enough to be crucified. Secondly, let's look at some of the, the, the conversations that happen on the cross with Jesus and with others. Hmm. I don't know if you've noticed before, but there's a lot of talking that happens in this scene. Uh, I love drama in in high school, and uh, I want to ask you to engage your minds with me as we look at the the drama, the the theater of this moment. You do that with me? So there would have been three men. I won't ask you if we could have got it up and had everyone up here, but I won't. We had three men dragged up the up the the path to the place of the skull the hill looked like a physical skull they were cru- they were nailed to the crosses crosses lifted dropped into the ground they were hanging there and sometimes when we read the bible we think oh it's this nice little picture on the on the hill like we see on our postcards on our christmas card or easter cards or wherever you might see them there would have been a whole lot of other people in the scene There would have been soldiers around, the very rough hands that dragged these men there. There would have been gamblers. Remember the some of the soldiers, the the guards gambled over Jesus' clothes. And and while all the conversations were happening, they didn't even pay attention. They just wanted to know who got his t-shirt. Yeah? There would have been the gamblers. There would have been religious leaders. There would have been the disciples. There would have been noisy crowds. There was Jesus' mom, the disciple he loved. It was a busy, bustling, hot noisy, crowded scene. And in all of this, Luke, remember Luke was a physician. He was a doctor. He looks at life differently to some of the other writers. In all of this, if you can picture the movie, Luke looks at this whole scene through the focus of one person in the whole group. So if you were doing this in a movie, you would zoom out, you would see the crowd, the noisy crowd. But then if if Luke was a director, he would zoom in. And all of a sudden, I'm choosing a man, <laughs> all of a sudden, one person fills the, the screen. You've been to the movies, you've seen that? And he focuses, Luke focuses his attention on this one man because there's an encounter with Jesus that's about to happen that you and I need to know about. I wonder who is the crowd around your life. (laughs) Have you got maybe a tax collector that's sending you horrible emails to say you're overdue? Have you maybe got some kind of a boss that's worrying you? The the, the police are are pulling you over because they want to take your car. What's going on? Are Are your customers making a noise around you? What's going on? Is there chaos and 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 heat and noise in your life? Maybe there's someone else in the crowd. Because most of us will think, okay, Jesus, you must be focusing on me. But maybe there's someone else in the crowd that Jesus wants to focus your attention on. All the way down, just to one. 
and through the one person's story, multiplied generations have been able to encounter Jesus because of this one man's encounter with Jesus. You get the point? Okay. So let's have a look at some of these conversations quickly. So Matthew chapter 27, verse 37, it says, Above him they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. You may have read it. It was written in three languages, in, in Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. Those were the most spoken languages of the day. They would equate today to English, uh, Chinese, and Hindi. Those three together equal more than three million, uh, three billion people in the world speak those three languages. So it's nearly half of the world's population that could have, that could speak our three most spoken languages today. In the day, they were even more prominent languages. The Greek was the language of the educated. Latin was the language of the upper class. And Hebrew was the language of the common people in the land. Isn't that cool? Whether you're a commoner, whether you're educated, whether you upper class, Jesus, King of the Jews, was in your language, you could understand. Not only that, but the Roman Empire used Latin and Greek as their official languages. If you were part of the Roman Empire, you would have been able to read what stood on the cross. You know, in the Old Testament, God sometimes is portrayed as distant and the Jews couldn't even pronounce his name. But on the cross, the father trumpets his, the name of his son as Jesus, a personal name in every language, knowable, proactive and personal. In all that crowd of people making noise and there's one person, just one person that gets focused on this dying thief. In verse 39, those who passed by hurled insults. So you understand these are maybe, I'm stretching the point when I talk about conversations. But there was insults hurled at Jesus by those passing by. It says, come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. It goes on to say in verse 41, the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders do the same. They mock Jesus. It's a bit of a one-sided conversation because Jesus doesn't respond. It says the rebels who were crucified heaped insults. Verse 46, Jesus speaks for the first time and he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then verse 50, Jesus cries out in a loud voice again and gives up his spirit. Luke looks, gives us some more color. We've read it already, but he says, One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults and said, Aren't you the, the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Isn't that funny? I'm always fascinated at the human condition. When we are in sufficient pain, we think people owe us, other people owe us something. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed how your uh, interest in other people's well-being decreases when your well-being suffers? Have you noticed that? Like when you're tired, you get grumpy with others, right? You, you hold them to a higher standard. Yeah, is it just me? Huh? I'm the only one. You understand, when we are under stress, when we are under pressure, must be careful because that's when we are least um, gracious to those around us. I remember Jesus suffering just like the other two. What would have gone on in that thief's mind to pull himself up, to catch a breath and use that breath to mock a man being crucified with him. 
Hey, Andre, at the end of comrades, would you have had breath to complain to some guy because he's looking funny? <laughs> you understand my point? We all think they were just like hanging out, having a chat. You know, and some guy was like anti him and some guy was pro him. And it was like, that's how we read it, don't we? I mean, the pain that this man must have gone through to express his hate for Jesus. I want to say some stuff was going on in him, right? Yeah? And sometimes when people vomit pain all over you, it's not because of you, it's because of the pain inside of them. And if you're like me, the first thing you want to do is, who do you think you are to talk to me like that? Because you don't understand what's going on in my side. Actually, we need to graciously think this through. It's got nothing to do with me. Maybe he's, you know. Yeah. Brother used to tell a story about a guy who dropped a thing on his foot. And he said, the guy didn't say, oh, blow. (laughs) Hey, the Sometimes those harsh words, because the person speaking them is in pain. They might be trying to cause pain too, but it comes from a place of pain. And Jesus breathes. He doesn't say (laughs) what you and I would have said, right? I love the way this guy thinks there's a way out for him too, if Jesus can perform. Verse 40, the other criminal rebukes him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Let me pick up on three of these things. I need to wrap up fast. The first one there, as you see on the screen, is aren't you the Christ? Aren't you the Christ? I would suggest that the the, the language behind that is you don't look so impressive to me. Yeah? Hey? Go on, prove yourself. If you are, then prove it. You say you're a Christian, prove it. (laughs) Why is stuff going wrong in your life? Where's God? Why have you got dry bones? Hmm. This criminal says, we're bad guys (laughs) and you're in the same boat as us. Like we know we've done the wrong thing. You're here in the same boat and you call yourself God. And Jesus says, exactly. I'm so glad to be able to tell you this morning that doesn't matter what boat you're in. Jesus is in your boat. Doesn't matter what suffering, what hurt and pain you're going through. Jesus has experienced that. And more. He understands our condition. Aren't you the Christ? Don't you fear God? It's amazing how even criminals deep down have a sense of morality. Both those criminals knew that actually they'd done the wrong thing. They, they knew because he says, don't you fear God? Is there no shame in you? He says, we've been punished justly. The third thing, this man has done nothing wrong. You see, the, the thief understood guilt and innocence. He knew somehow that Jesus was innocent. Theologically, a perfect sacrifice was needed for the forgiveness of sins. Even though he was accused, tried, convicted and punished, Jesus was still sin-free. The Bible explains it this way, as God in our place. Isn't that cool? So finally, I want to ask this question. What was it? I don't have a slide for this. What was it that changed the thief's heart? What about this encounter made the difference? Was it Jesus' silent agony? 
not retaliating against his accusers? Remember we're talking about encounters with Jesus, learning from their encounters. Was it his silent agony, not retaliating against his accusers? Was it not reacting to the insults from different classes of people? You know, sometimes people you don't know, you can say what you want, I don't care. Yeah? Sometimes someone close to you says the wrong thing, it cuts so deep. And we respond. There's different groups of people that Jesus doesn't respond to. Was it perhaps Jesus saying, forgive them, Father? Praying for them in the moment. Was it Jesus' insight that they did not know what they were doing? Understanding that they were truly lost and they were just searching for meaning. They were searching for some way to make things make sense and they thought they could take it out on on Jesus and find purpose for themselves. Was it the sign on the cross pointing every language group to Jesus? Was it Jesus' selfless awareness of others in the midst of his suffering? And not his selfish concern for his own well-being that got the thief's attention. It's amazing. We don't read Jesus, you know, (laughs) hanging on the cross. Oh, have you read John 3.16? He doesn't say that to the sinner, you know. He doesn't say, have you sinned? He doesn't even say like the lady at the well, go and fetch your husband, you know, tell me about your life. Somewhere along the line, we don't see Jesus, we just see his silent example. We see the one, I mean, they both encounter Jesus equally. The one is so, ah, man, I always get that one wrong. Um, uh, thank you. So agitated that he responds with daggers. The other one is equally agitated, but he responds with repentance. All because these two men, Encountered Jesus on a cross one day. So the key is what happened when they encountered Jesus. This thief was changed. A lifetime was changed in just a few hours. This hopeless and callous criminal trying to make his own way in the world becomes a soft-hearted, open-to-repentance man putting his hope in Jesus. Jesus isn't even recorded as speaking to him before he speaks to Jesus. So what was it? So how do you and us respond? Because remember, Luke would focus in on your face in the crowd. And maybe he would focus your eyes on another face in your crowd and say, who is it that is watching you? You don't even have to have a fancy story to tell. you just got to tell your own story. Sometimes you don't even open your mouth. That we would listen to others even when we are suffering. That interruptions could be opportunities. That there would be always hope even when it seems too late. I mean the clock is ticking. The minutes of those last hours are ticking away. And there was still hope for both of those thieves. One is saved. And finally, like like Mary, will you and I be willing, as Jesus was, to be at the Father's disposal? Friends, perhaps you're at a low point in your life this morning. But just perhaps, 
there are those around you that need to encounter Jesus. The cross would have been a terrible point for Jesus. But there were those around him that needed an encounter. Even the thief in the same pain as Jesus was able to point the other thief to Jesus. You stand with me? I'd love to pray. So if you'd like to close your eyes, Jesus, I pray for each one of us this morning that we would know that whether we're in our most painful moment that your eyes are on us, that even, Lord, when we would never think of others, you thought of others. You willingly embraced the cross so that we could embrace you. Jesus, as you see this man who even at the very last of the last moment His life was changed because he had an encounter with you. I pray for us this morning that our lives would be changed as we encounter you. And then, Lord, that we would be willing, whether we're in the most pain or the least pain, whether things are going well or poorly, that we would be ready to have the focus on us so that somebody else in the crowd can see Jesus. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, friends. Thanks. Beautiful. Thank you, Lord. Thank you.